0: I want to talk to you today about these words. Whatever He says to you, do it. Now open up your Bibles and we're going to read from chapter 2. This is John chapter 2 from verse 1. The Word of the Lord says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now they were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing containing twenty and thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And He said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. Until so far, the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning that we heard the public reading of Your Word. And Father, even if I close my mouth now, get in my car and go home, and say nothing further, I know this for sure, that the Bible gives me the promise that Your Word will not go out and return void, but will accomplish every single thing that it's been purposed for. Father, we thank You for Your words. The Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And this morning, Father, we want to trot along this path with the Bible showing us the light, where to walk. We want to look upon the Word this morning as a lamp unto our feet to see where we are. And we want to learn in this morning more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. Oh, to know Him better. So Lord, as I preach this morning, use me as a vessel. As I, as I preach Your Word, Father, touch my lips and my mind. And Father, I pray for the unction of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon Your words. Let my voice, let my breath, let everything within me this morning proclaim Your Word to this world. As we know, Father, we are living in a lost world, and the world needs the light. The world needs the Lamb. So, Father, what do you want to tell us this morning? If there's one person in this building this morning, speak to him, speak to her, speak to me. As correctly, the Word also says, Lord, that your Word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it will cut between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, Father. So I pray in this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. And we find now in this passage a miracle that happened. And now the thing is, why do we study this? Why do we continue reading and doing this? We are building our faith. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans now, the book of Romans chapter 10. And this is why it is so important to come to church. This is why it is so important to listen to messages, to sermons, to listen to somebody reading the Word. And I would want to highly recommend you to go, and when you go home, read your Bible, but go into a room and read it out loud, so that you can hear what you read. Why? Why do we do this? It is to know Jesus better. And we need Him in this world, each one of us. Let's have a look at what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Paul asks a very good question here. He says in Romans 10, 14, How then then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? That's a very good question, isn't it? If you do not believe in Jesus Christ this morning, how, how shall you call on Him? If you don't know Him, how can you call on Him? That's what he asks here. And how, he continues this question, and how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? You see what I said? It is important to come to church and listen to messages. It is important to read your Bible. He says, he asked this question straight out there. He says, how shall they call on Him who they don't believe? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Three very important questions. Three very good questions for you and for me to answer. Oh, the world cry out and they say, we need help. It's only in times of trouble that people call upon Jesus. But now Paul says, how then can they call on Him if they do not believe in Him? Or how could they believe if they haven't heard of Him? And how will they hear if there's no preacher? Pray for people to preach the Word of God. And he continues on now in verse 15 and he says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And this is critical for me. It is the calling from God. It is not a vocation you do at a university and it's not a job selection for you. You are called by God and you are seen by God. He says, and how shall they preach unless they are seen? The fourth question, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. I can tell you one thing this morning, I've only got good and glad tidings for you. If we're going to study this passage this morning at the miracle in Cana, this is good news. It's glad tidings for you. And then he says in verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. You see, therein lies the problem, they haven't obeyed the gospel. Where is that problem? Is it with God? No. Is it with the preacher? No. It is with them. They have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And this is now verse 17. Look at this now. And this is what you and I are doing this morning. He says in verse 17, So then, so then, faith, comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You are building your faith this morning by listening to the Word of God. Did you know that? You are building your faith by being obedient this morning. Did you know that if you are obedient and willing, you will eat the fruit of the land? What does that mean? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. I'll give you time to get there. You remember what Paul says in in, uh, Romans chapter 10? He says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. It fascinates me that people do not want to obey the good news. It fascinates me, but yet Paul writes it. He says they did not obey it. What will happen if you do not obey? You will not eat the good of the land. You will not experience the blessing of a saved life. You say, where do you get this? Isaiah chapter 1. Now look at verse 18. He says, come now. Come now. It's an invitation. It's a call out. And let us reason together. This is the prophet speaking on behalf of God. He looks at mankind and he says, I want you to come now and let's reason this thing about you. The Lord says the following, he says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isn't that good news? That's the good news. That's the gospel. And now God says through the prophet, He says, come, let's reason together. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about the things that trouble you. He says, I will take them out. If it's red like crimson, I'll wash it white on snow. That's the gospel. That is what Paul talks about here in Romans. When he says these preachers come and they bring the good news, they preach the gospel. But then again, what did he say again? He said, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. God gives the invitation, he says, come now, let's do this thing. Every single day of your life, God is there calling upon you. Every time you sit in a church and you listen to the message, He calls upon you to come and do this now. Come now, He says. It's an urgent call. He says, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now look at verse 19. He says, if you are willing. You see that? If you, This is Isaiah 1.19. If you are willing and what? obedient, what will happen? You shall eat the good of the land. You shall eat the good of the land. This morning if you come to this place and you want to look around, you're going to miss it. But if you come here and you listen to the word of God, what is going to teach us out of this passage, you're going to eat the good of the land. But there's also a but there. Look at the next verse. Verse 20. But if you refuse... And rebel, rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word is like a two-edged sword, who cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. It is important for us to listen to the word of God. You see the two things there? If you just quickly do a Bible study in verse 19, if you are willing, in verse 20 it says, But if you refuse, The opposite of willingness is refusal. You are either willing to do something or you refuse to do it, yes? But look at the next one. It says in verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, in verse 20 it says, but if you refuse and rebel. You see, the opposite of obedience is rebelling. So, this is what people do. They refuse God and they rebel against Him. And what's going to happen? They will not eat the good of the land. As we come this morning and learn more about Jesus, you know what's going to happen? Our faith is going to be built. Go with me now quickly to John chapter 1. We see in this miracle this morning that we learn more about Jesus. We ended in chapter 2 by learning a critical thing about Jesus. I want you to look at John chapter 1 now, and we're going to look at verse 46. He says, and Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You remember Philip went and he called him and he says, we found the Messiah. Philip said to him, come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, now listen to this. How do you know me? This is the first time that Jesus laid his eyes on Nathanael. The first time. Nathanael didn't know Jesus personally. He walks up to him, he says these things about him, and he says, how do you know me? What on earth? And Jesus answered him and said to him, this is really interesting to me. He says, before Philip came to you. Whoa, think about this now. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. How could Jesus do that? How could he? Well, somebody might say, as he was walking, he might have walked and saw the man under the fig tree, and now he recognizes him. You could say that if you want to. But you know what I believe? I believe that Jesus Christ, that God is omnipresent. You know what that means? That He's everywhere. And this is good to know about Him. God is omnipresent. Even though Jesus was in a physical form here, even Jesus was limited by the body which He was now in, even all of that He knew Nathanael. And He saw Him under the fig tree. That's something that we need to know about God. God is omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. And how does that help you and me? My friend, it helps you and me to know this, that wherever you are, God is there. If you're in a difficult situation, know that you can reach out and touch Him. We sing that song, Reach out and touch the Lord As He passes by You will find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment, your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. Now think about this. You are sitting in your office, you've got a difficult work situation, and... You reach out and you touch Him. Yet, Andre, you're sitting miles away in your situation, and you cry to God, and you can reach out and touch Him. Everyone in this room has got access to God wherever you are. This is what I learned out of that. He is omnipresent. He means He's everywhere. David says, where can I go to escape God? into the deepest pit, into the highest mountain. You cannot run away from God. He's everywhere. And that's what we've learned out of that passage. And as we learn this now of Him coming into chapter 2, we're going to follow now into this miracle that happens at this wedding. Now let's go through this and have a look in John chapter 2. He says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It is fascinating to understand that Jesus, the first thing that He's doing, He's attending a wedding. And let me tell you that marriage is sacred before God. It's one of the first things that He do. They come together, and the mother of Jesus was there, and now both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. Notice He didn't say, oh no, oh no, I can't go to a wedding now. No, I'm now so holy. No, no, he didn't say that. You see, dear friends, we are living in this world. But we are not of the world. There's no place in the Bible that says we need to go into an island and be secluded now. No, no, we can still take part of this world. He went to the wedding. There was going to be a lot of things happening at the wedding. It is a happy time. So Jesus goes in his everyday life. They were invited. Now, at this point in time, when he sees Jesus and his disciples, it's the disciples that we know of in chapter 1. Now, Mary goes to this wedding and he is invited and he says, We are going. He says, no, no, it's not as if, no, we can't do that now. We've got to be busy with God's work. Let me explain to you that wherever you go, you are busy with God's work. You see, where you go, you take Jesus with you. And this is the measurement for you that if you go to a place and Jesus is not welcome, guess what? Then you are not welcome." But some people want to do this. They say, oh, look at this. I can now, I've given my heart to the Lord Jesus. I can continue with my life now, with my sinful life. No, that's not how it works. Some people want to walk into certain places and say, Jesus, you just wait at the door until I come out. Then we can walk on together. He says it doesn't work like that. And this is the measure. They go to a wedding feast. And Jesus goes along. And He takes His disciples with Him. A joyous occasion. And I want to repeat it. Where Jesus is not welcome, my friend, you are not welcome. If you go along that way, then you will go a far way. He says in verse 3, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. Now this is massively embarrassing for them. You see, weddings in those days didn't happen like in our days. It wasn't only 20 minutes and then it's finished, or a day. It's not just coming together and we're standing in front of somebody. These days the celebrant and they say a few words and they go on and party. That's not how it worked. In those days, a wedding went for a whole week. Seven days. And most of the times, the wedding started on a Wednesday, if it was a virgin getting married. But if it was a widow, which also married, in fact, Paul says in one of the letters, he says, when a widow is young, let her marry again. But if, if she's older, an older widow, then the church looks after her. But if it was a the widow, then most probably it started on a Thursday. And they would come together And this whole feast will draw out for over a week. And in that time, they would have wine there. Now, one of the most embarrassing things for somebody who is at this wedding festival is if the wine finishes up. And I just want to make the point, it is not a drunk occasion that you think they are drinking the whole week, and they are so drunk they don't know what's going on. Wine in those days were different. I'm not saying it wasn't intoxicating because the Bible talks about intoxicating drink. But it is not as if in our day that you think they're going to just be drunk a whole week. It was a festive occasion. And here immediately we see there's an embarrassing problem that's coming on. Now, it says in verse 3 that mother of Jesus said to him, she comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her these words, he says, Woman, maybe not in the way that I'm saying it today, but he says, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, when we are sitting in the Western culture, we would say, that is very rude of Jesus to call his mother, Woman. I mean, I wouldn't like it if the two sons come to Leone and says, Woman, instead of Mom. Would you like it? And especially on Mother's Day... On Mother's Day, you say, "Mama, I love you, and I appreciate you. But yet here, Jesus comes to her, and He turns to her, and He says, Woman, and many commentators, and I, I kind of believe and, 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 you know, go with their flow, is that it is a soft rebuke that He gave her. But also, this shows us, and he points to us, that the relationship between Jesus and His mother has changed. You see, he's now walking into his ministry. And now that relationship has changed between the two of them. Another thing that you can point out of this is that what you have these days in the Roman Catholic Church of of Mary, we pray to Mary because she's the softer one between her and Jesus. And everything you have, you first go to Mary and still go and talk to Jesus. That's not what this passage says. This passage, Jesus turns to her and he says, Woman, what does your concerns have to do with me? He says, My hour has not yet come. What hour is he talking about? It's a soft rebuke. He says, What what have I got to do with you? Why do you come to me with this? And there's a lot of things, my friends, that we need to think and put in perspective here. Think of about Mary. She was this virgin who bore a child called Jesus Christ. Now, we read it now, and in our day and age, it's acceptable. But listen, in their day, it's acceptable because we understand the Scriptures. But in their day and age, they didn't have the New Testament. All the people saw was this virgin bore a child. And the angel appeared to Mary and told her what this child was going to do. So she knew it and kept it in her heart. And as this boy grew up, Joseph wasn't his father. God was his father. Mary kept this in her heart. And now the point comes and he goes to Jesus and she says to him, they have no wine expecting something to happen. You know, maybe people started talking about it and go, Jesus, you know, that Jesus, I wonder who's the real father. Because she got pregnant before they got married. That was a scandal. And here, he turns to her and he says, My hour has not yet come. You see, the point is sometimes we want to come to Jesus to vindicate us. Jesus is not coming to vindicate us. He came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to vindicate and say you are right because of all of these things that happened. No, no. He comes to says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the fruit of the land. I will take your sins away. No, he comes to save. Now Jesus says, My hour is not yet come. I want to show you something. Go in your Bibles with me to John. We pick this up in verse, verse four when he says, My hour is not yet come. Go to John chapter two. It's an interesting if you study the word like this and you, and you take this path. Look at, uh, turn to chapter 7. John chapter 7. Look at verse uh, 1. I just want to put this in perspective to you to what I just said. He says, And after these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, listen to this, therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Remember Mary came to him and said, there is no wine. In other words, we're expecting a work from you here, Jesus. Here the brother says the same thing. They say, why don't you go and depart from here to Judea that the disciples might also see your works? In other words, vindicate us. You know, people are talking. We see what you do, but they didn't believe in Him, the Bible says. Now it goes on in verse 4, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Come on, Jesus. Isn't this what Mary said? The wine is finished. Now show yourself. Show yourself. We want to see a miracle. I just want to say to you, dear friends, that I do not believe that we advertise there's going to be a healing service on a Friday or a Sunday evening. I don't believe that. And then everybody turns up and everybody brings their sick people on the Friday evening. I've got no problem bringing them in so that we can pray for them and support them. But we are not going to advertise out there and say there's a healing service here on a Sunday evening. Why? People come with an expectation and they do the same as Mary did. They say, now the sick is here, come on Jesus, do your thing. He doesn't work like that. We need to know that. Or even ourselves, we come to Jesus in our difficult problem and say, now we need a miracle from you Jesus. No, no, we're going to see here that he works in his own way. And you will find the same thing with his brothers. They say in verse 4, show yourself to the world. And there is verse 5. He says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. You see? Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You see that? That's the same that he told his mother. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that it works, its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. But he did go. Later on he did go, he decided to go to the feast. Look at verse 30. Now at the feast, when he came there, he started talking to them. They were seeking to kill him. And while he was talking to them, now it goes down to verse 30. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour has not yet come. Turn over to John chapter 8, verse 20. Look at verse 13. John chapter 8, verse 13. Now we follow him a little bit further. He says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. And He explains to them His witness. Now look at verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on Him, for His hour has not yet come. See that? Now something changes. Turn over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Look at verse 23. I'm going to read from verse 20 to get some context. He says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida and Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Let's go back to the feast. Remember here that Jesus said, uh, Jesus' mother said, they have no wine. He says, Woman, what does thou concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. At this point in time, His hour has not come to be in the public eye, to do the miracles. But there's a second hour for if He's not yet come, for Him to be exposed to die on the cross. That's why He says to her. And at this point, He turned around, He walked out of the feast, and they went fishing. No, they did not. Because that's not how Jesus works. Let's continue. His mother said to the servants, Whatever He says to you, do it. That's the theme of our message this morning. I want you to listen to these words. Because I want you to think, And it's as if Jesus is standing in front of you and He says, Whatever I say to you, do it. That word whatever in the King James is actually the better form of that word. He says His mother says unto the servant, Whatsoever He says unto you, do it. Whatsoever is the word which means that you absolutely have faith in the object. And here in Jesus Christ whatsoever, He tells you. doesn't matter what it is. Do it. Sometimes it might sound strange, as we're going to see in a few minutes, but just do it. If you know it is Jesus talking to you, and He says to you, do it, do it. That word encapsulates every single thing of faith. In John 14, verse 13, he uses the same word. He says, and whatsoever, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. This is Jesus' words. He says, whatsoever you ask, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the reason he will do it. In John 14, verse 26, when he talks about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he says, Which is the Holy Ghost from the Father, will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. What does all mean? It means all things. And bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said to you. His mother says, Whatsoever he says to you this morning, do it. John chapter 15, verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So what are you if you do not do it? You're not his friend. Yes? He says it right there. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Mary says to the servants, Whatsoever he says to you do it. And God is talking to everybody in this room this morning. He says, whatsoever I tell you, I want you to do it. Now think of Adam and Eve. Think of them. What did God say? He says, thou shalt not eat of that tree. And Mary says, whatsoever He tells you to do, do it. They shouldn't have eaten of the tree, but what did they do? They ate of the tree, and there were consequences of that they sinned. Yes? There's another man, I want you to turn with me in the book of, uh, of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want to show you here that there is consequences if you do not listen to the Word of God, if you do not do what He tells you to do, or if you do it wrongly. Listen to this, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you are there, say Amen. Only one. Praise the Lord. (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Now in other words, God is now speaking, okay? And what does God say? In verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed, uh, ambushed him uh, on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them. Twin, uh, uh, um. So Saul is getting ready for this now. What did God say? He said, go and kill every single one of them. This is God's punishment on the Amalekites. Mary says this morning, whatsoever He says unto you, do it. Saul, if you can hear this morning from wherever you are, you should have listened to God. I want to say to you this morning, you should listen to God. Whatever He tells you, do it. Because if you do not do it, there's consequences. Let's continue the story on now. Verse 5, And Saul came to the city of the Amalekites and lay in va- wait in the valley. And verse 7, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Wait a minute. Didn't God say you should kill him? So he was varying off Listen, Saul, whatsoever he tells you to do, do it. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul, you see the word but there, sharp contrast, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised worthless, and utterly destroyed. Did he listen to God? Come, we've got it right in front of us. There in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish them. And He says, Go and attack them, and utterly destroy every one of them. That's what the Lord said. It is important for you to listen what I'm saying this morning. Listen to Mary this morning. Look, we don't pray to Mary, but we can listen to this one time that she gave good advice. She didn't point anywhere else, but she pointed to Jesus and she said, Whatsoever He tells you to do, do it. Now, let's see the consequence in verse 10. Now, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret, I greatly regret... May our Heavenly Father never say those words over your life. Why? Because His punishment are true, and His justice is righteous. He says, I regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. How did God know that? Because He didn't listen to His voice. He didn't obey His commandments. And has not performed my commandments. And he grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night, intercessing for Saul. You see? So he rose the next day. And look at verse 14. Um, verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I, performed the com- I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? He comes to Saul and, and Saul says, Hey, blessed man of God, I've done everything you told me. He's telling a lie. You see, this is what he does when you start becoming disobedient to God. It just goes worse. He's starting to tell a lie now. He says, I've done everything you asked me. And Saul said, Now look at this. I want you to notice this now. And they, you see that? You see that word they? Who's the they he's talking about? The people. They have brought them from the Amalekites. He's playing the blame game now. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the auction. Then Samuel verse 16, 16 says to Saul, Be quiet. Be quiet. Why? Because you did not listen to the voice of God. Now you be quiet and let me talk. This is serious business here. God spoke, but you listened to the people. In fact, you listened to your own voice in your head. Because you, the king, you give the command, but when the people came to spare the life of Agag, you should have killed him. You should have given the word. Listen to what Mary says. Whatsoever He tells you, do it. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And He says to be gone. And we know what happened. He took the kingship away from Saul. At this point in time, Saul's life just went south. All worse. Do you think it's important to listen to what Jesus says? It's not only important to listen to what He says, it is important to do it. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the food of the land. Willingness is listening to what He says. Obedience is doing it. How many times have you sit in a sermon and listen to what God says to you? You feel convicted. You say, Lord, I'm willing, but you are not obedient. Obedience is the action. Willing- willingness is the decision. Willingness is the decision. Obedience is the action. Both goes together. And here he says, whatsoever he says to you, do it. Do it. Otherwise, there is consequences. Now, the question is, how does he speak to you and me today? That's a good question to ask, because Jesus is not here. He was at the feast. Yeah? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. That's now in the New Testament. And praise the Lord. Are we learning something this morning? Hebrews chapter 1. Look at this now. Whatever He says to you, do it, Mary says. And the question is, how? How does He speak to us today? He says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God... Who at various times, in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. We just saw that. Samuel came to Saul. The Lord spoke to Samuel. Samuel translated that message to Saul. Through the prophets. Do we still need prophets today? No. Why? Because this is written. Look at the next verse has in these last days, are we living in the last days? Yes. Spoken to us by His Son. You see that? He's spoken to us by His Son. Whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds. Now, look at me this morning. Where is the words of the Son? Where are they? Is Jesus still speaking? Yes. Yes. It's all written up in here. It's all in here. So you want to tell me, preacher, that I need to read this book? Yes. If you want to do whatsoever He tells you, you need to find out what you need to do. It's not going to be a birdie sitting There's somewhere in the tree going to tell you something. It's not just a voice dropping. God can speak in many ways. But listen, the way that I found in the last 25 years he speaks to me is through this book, through his words. Every one of his words is written up in this New Testament, in this book. That's it. Oh, but what if I want to change a job? It don't open up in the Bible and they say, oh, thou shalt change the job. No. It doesn't threaten it like that there. I get that. But friend, I will tell you one thing. If you start reading a living close to God, He will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding and He will guide and direct your footsteps. He will answer those questions to you. So do whatsoever, whatsoever, He says to you, do it. It's not Nike, by the way, that says, just do it. There's a difference. Okay? Because just do it is you can do anything and live a life which you think there's no consequences. No, no, no. It's not Nike's just do it. It is whatsoever he said to you, do it. Now let's continue on and see what he said. In John chapter two verse 6, he says, "Now there were the six water pots of stone. This was in every Jewish house. These water spots. They were normally standing at the door, filled with water, because there were a lot of traditions in those days. If you walked, they didn't have tar roads like we. They had dusty roads. They had sandals. They didn't have Nike shoes or what you call the shoes these days, vans and bands and all of these things. They walked." Their feet would get dirty. Uh, I mean, we went to Ballarat the other day, and there's there at uh, Sovereign Hill. The roads are just dirt roads, and I was walking the whole day there. And when I came home at the hotel at night, I looked down at my shoes, and what happened? It was absolutely just covered with dust. Now imagine, that was only for one day and it's only at one place. Imagine these people walking on dusty roads the whole day. They didn't have shoes that covered over. They had sandal-type shoes. Their feet were filthy. Yeah, they were dusted. So when you come into a house, that's what the servants used to do. There's these water ports standing there. The purpose for that was for cleansing. If you come in, the servant will scoop some water out. You will sit down and they will wash your feet. Your feet. But not only that, when you were going to sit on and eat, they would also use that as a purification to wash the hands. And there was a specific way they washed their hands. It's not like us going into a water basin and lean over and wash your hands in the water. No, no, no. They got the water, it was thrown over their hands, they would lift their hands in the air and wash it so that the water can run down their arms and drip to the ground. That was the specific way they had to do it. This is why in Matthew chapter 15 verse 2, when, when the disciples walked, they didn't wash their hands in that way. And this is why the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Look, why do your disciples transgress, transgress the traditions of the elders? What was the tradition of the elders? That's how you wash your hands. So, as they come into this place, there were six water pots of stone standing there for that purpose. It was never the purpose of those pots to carry wine. No, because they would see it in the tradition that it will defile the pots. It was for cleansing, a purpose for that. But you see, this is the thing. Jesus doesn't walk by tradition. No, He doesn't. Now, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, the Scripture says, containing twenty and thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Remember, can you refrain what Jesus' mother said? Whatsoever He tells you, do it. That word whatsoever, again, if I repeat myself, means total faith. He says, fill the water pots with water. That's not strange. That's what they do. You see, again, Everybody, if they want to look for a miracle, they want a massive thing to happen. There's no massive thing happening. He says, just fill the pots with water. And they filled it to the brim. To the brim. There's beautiful pictures we can take out of this. If we can just take a picture of this, that you and I are those pots. And if I ask you, are you full to the brim or are you empty this morning? Are you full to the brim or are you empty? If that water pots represent us and and look I'm just doing an application now okay I gave you I gave you before I told you exactly what those pots are there for but this morning if I can just do an application and talk to you person to person if you are one of those pots this morning are you empty are you full where are you this morning you see the word says in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, but we have this treasury in earthen vessels. So like those spots, you and I are an earthen vessel. We can hold something inside of us. We are capable of doing this. That the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. We are hard pressed on every side. Is that you? We're living in the real world. We are hard-pressed. You know, if I go over to you and I ask you to start complaining about a lot of things you like, you can complain quickly, can't you? The Bible says we are hard-pressed. On every side, yet not crushed. Think of yourself, you're this water pot and and somebody tips you over and there's a little bit of water flowing out. You're getting empty. Empty. Hard-pressed. We are perplexed. Are you perplexed? Sometimes I am. Certainly I am. But not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying us in in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to what Jesus says. He says, take the water pots and fill them with water. If you are that pot this morning and you say, listen preacher, I'm to the empty level. If you're going to dig deeper, you're going to start getting the mud. The mud at the bottom. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, I'm halfway there, you know, I'm half. I've got good news for you. Jesus says, fill the pots with water. What's He talking about? Water for you and me, dear friends, is a sign of the Word. It's a sign of the Word. Look, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, which is a fantastic passage for a couple, a marriage couple. But He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself to her that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word. By the Word. The Word is a sign of water. Jesus stands on the the last day on the, the great feast, and they pour water. This is a tradition they had. This is in John chapter six, uh, 7. He says, they're standing on the, on the steps of, of the temple and they had an empty canister. This is what the priests did. And they tip it over and they symbolically wash their hands while just a, a little far off, Jesus is standing there and He says, if you are thirsty, come unto Me and I'll give you water. And streams of living water will gush from the inside out. Where are you this morning? Where are you standing this morning? If you're one of those spots, I want to suggest to you, fill it up with water like Jesus said. And look, they filled it up to the brim. You see that? The brim means to the top. I'm not satisfied with just been halfway there. I'm not three quarters there. I want to be there to the top. And he says in verse 8, And he said to them, Now this is it. This is it. He says, Draw some water out now and take it to the master of the feast. not water, he says, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Mary said, whatsoever, whatsoever, he tells you, do it. It wasn't so hard to fill the pots with water. It wasn't so hard. It was tougher. The whatsoever started to come to its own now when they said, look, draw some now and take it to the master of the feast. What? You want us slaves now, our servants now, to take water to the master of the feast? What's going to happen here? Whatsoever, whatsoever, do it. And they took it. They did it. And when the master of the feast has tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants had drawn the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. I love it that every single word in the Bible is there for a purpose. You see, the disciples didn't fill up the things, the disciples didn't take it, so that nobody can say that they put something in the water. This is a conspiracy. No, it was the servants of the house who did it. Did you notice Jesus didn't say a magic word over the pots? Did you notice He didn't walk over the pots and touch them? But these days people want to see miracles and they've got all of these regulations. We've gotta lay our hands on you. We've gotta blow over you. We've gotta do this. We've gotta do this. Look, that's all nonsense. Jesus do things in his own way. He brings the servants out. They fill the pot and then he just says, look, he doesn't even, he just says go and take it to the master. The miracle has already happened. They were disobedient. And willing to do it. He comes to the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine, and when the guest is well drunk, then inferior. You've kept the good wine till now. Remember when I said that you can become like one of those pots? Or you are one of those pots and you fill it to the brim? I want to ask you the next question What happens if I tip you over and pull some of that which is inside of you out? What's the master going to say? What are they going to say? If I take you by your bootstraps, turn you around and shake you up and down, what's going to fall out of your pockets? What is there? You see, the beast came out now. Why? Because it was filled up to the brim. Whatsoever he tells you, he says, do it. What happens to you when you get shaken? and a little bit of what's inside of you spills out. Are people going to say, oh no, yeah, oh, oh, ah, run away. What is it what spills out? The best needs to come out of us. The best comes out of us when Christ touches us. Because He changes it on the inside. Have you noticed the water changing to wine on the inside of the pots? This is what happens when Jesus fills you up. He changes you from the inside out. Yes. I I can testify about a young man who came to our church in New Zealand years ago and and he was really in in a bad position. Drugs, you could see it on him. And look, honestly, if he walks into some churches, they'll run away. But he came. He came. And there were people in the church and said, are we going to allow him? I said, of course we allow him. And I have noticed how that God changed that man from the inside out. I've witnessed it. I saw the spot. I saw him every Sunday coming. I saw him every Bible study coming. You know what he did? He said, Lord, I am empty. I'm a broken vessel. Fix me up. And God did. And what did he do? He started filling him with the water of the Word. And then he started changing from the inside out. This is the same You might be sour on the inside. Jesus comes inside and He changes it to sweet wine. You know what wine brings? It brings joy. How can you be a Christian walking around and you've got no joy of the Lord inside of you? He brings that joy. That is what He does. And He keeps it. And He draws it out. Look, He gives it as to give. You you notice what, uh, what Paul says? He says, that which I've received from the Lord I give. We don't keep this inside of us. You know what happens with wine when it it stands too long? It becomes sour. Now, when we get it, we give it. That is, can you see the picture here? Wow, there's a lot of things in the the miracle of Cana, isn't there? And there's so much more to say. I want to quickly hurry on. He says, this is the beginning of the signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. What is the reason of this? First of all, let me just tell you that you notice that John doesn't say it's a miracle. He doesn't say it anywhere. He says it's a sign. And there's a difference. The sign has got a purpose to it. What is the purpose of this? The purpose of this sign that Jesus did was to manifest His glory. You remember when I started off today saying that we may know Him better? You remember that I said that we saw His omnipresence? Now we learn something more about Jesus and hopefully you did learn something more. But the other thing, dear friends, is it's the beginning of the signs. Let no one come to you and say that Jesus Christ did other signs when He was younger. Let no one say that to you. Let no one come to you and say that. That Jesus Christ did other signs when He was younger. You know, I've heard somebody say that when Jesus was a small boy, that He he one day took a bird which died and He miraculously raised the bird so that the bird may come alive. That is blasphemy. That is wrong. He didn't do that. He says it right here, the beginning of the signs The beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. Remember what He wrote down in John chapter 20 verse 30? He said, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. Many other. But this was the first one. The beginning of the signs was the first one. And from there on He did many others. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing in His name. So, let's finish. There's three things that we've learned from this sign that we will build our faith with. Three things. The first thing is that Jesus is omnipotent omnipotent. You know what that means? Remember when we said that He was omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. But here we see now that Jesus is not omnipresent only, but He's omnipotent. And that means the quality of having unlimited and very great power. Look, you are so privileged to be a, a child of God. Do you know that? Because you've got Your Lord and your Saviour is omnipresent and He's omnipotent. He's so powerful. And He demonstrates this to us when He made the wine. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 9, He says, He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Now, let's think about wine. I mean, it's easy to sit here and think, wow, He did that so fast. Do you know what the process of making wine is? First you need to cultivate the land you need to you need to plow the land you need to take the rocks out Isaiah chapter 5 it explains that process and then you need to plant the vine and when you plant the vine you need to water the vine the vine needs to grow and then eventually leaves come out and photosynthesis takes place when the sun goes onto the leaves that gives flavor to the fruit the fruit starts and how long does this take Only a couple of days? No. It takes weeks, days, months for this to happen. And when the fruit is sitting on the vine, you need to wait until the right time to harvest it. And when you harvest the the, the fruit, what do you do? You take it to the wine press. And then you press the juice out of the fruit. And then you filter it through and then you filter it through again so that cinnamon steak comes out. Then you put it away and it, and, it, and, and, it, and it waits. That's a whole process. Yet here Jesus comes and He just says, fill the pots and draw from it. You know what this miracle is, what the sign is? He took time out of that. Because Jesus Christ does not live in time like you and I did. So the first thing we learn this morning from this wedding feast or from this sign... Is Jesus' omnipotence. Secondly, He's divine wisdom of Jesus. Remember when He said to a woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You see, we say, Jesus, we need help and we need it now, don't we? And this is how we want you to do it. No, no. He knows how and He knows where And he knows when he should help. This is exactly demonstrated in this miracle for us, in this sign. You see, he's got the wisdom. He knows. He knows when you need it the best. And he's never late, he's always on time. And then finally, we learn the goodness of Jesus. Isn't he a good savior? Isn't he wonderful? In John chapter 2, verse 8, he said, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. This after, he said to her, Woman, what have I got to do with you? And one would think that was harsh. He could have turned around. You know, if somebody upset people these days, what do they do? They blow up their bottom lip, and he drops on the floor. And you've got to watch out, so that, you know, don't trip over it. And they blow themselves up. I murdered you. No, no. That's not our Lord Jesus. He made her understood something. And then he says, I'm going to help them. And he did. That's the goodness of Jesus. He didn't have to. He already told her. He says, my hour didn't come. He didn't have to help her. But he did. Look, he doesn't have to help you and me. But he does. Jeremiah chapter 32 He prophesies, he says, Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and with all of my soul. Isaiah 65, verse 24, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. Isn't that wonderful? So this morning I leave you with Mary's words. We don't pray to Mary. But we can listen to her when she says, Whatsoever he says to you, do it. Now, the question is are you going to be willing and obedient to do what he says and tells you to do? Let's pray.